Hello and welcome back to the Marketing Mashup podcast. This week, I have Joe Glover, who's the founder of the Marketing Meetup, a community of 14,000 marketers across 14 locations in the UK and US. He runs monthly events, podcasts, workshops, and more. As a result of the success of the Marketing Meetup, he'll start his own agency, helping companies begin to see how the marketing department can be a value driver rather than just a cost center. I really like this quote from Joe. I love what I do and hope to spread a little of the joy through helping other people live a happy life. Joe, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing, mate? Um, thank you very much for having me. I'm doing good. I'm doing very good. Life's, life's weird, but it's. Uh, I think we're just trying to find our positive moments within it right now, which is, which is uh, a daily challenge, but also a, a nice, uh, a better way to look at things, I think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's definitely strange times um, and I think we, we, we're all we're all coping it coping with it in our own ways are you have you um have you taken up any hobbies to to fill the time yeah I mean I've become a big fan of home workouts although I, I can't say that I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, anywhere near as good as I usually am with a with a boot camp instructor shouting in my ear um, and I'm also learning to play piano right now but I'm absolutely terrified uh, terrifying terrible at it um, but I'm getting better day by day. I'm getting better, and it's nice to have that that time to spend on that. Are, are you are you keeping consistent with it? Because I've whenever I try to learn something new, I have to be relentlessly consistent with it. Otherwise, I will leave it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, and then I'll never go back to it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying my best. So I think one of the things for me right now is that I've paid for a, an app, which uh, teaches you. So I, I, I'm like. I've I've made the commitment that I've had to pay for something now, so uh, I'm in. I'm in. How about you? Have you taken up anything? Um, I, I've I've got back into making YouTube videos for my for my personal channels. Um, I think at the moment we've all got to do something that just takes our mind off what's happening. And since I started earning money out of making videos, I lost the love for it. So going back and actually shooting my own videos and being creative as I like with it has, has been my little escape. So Joe, um, I gave a little background on you, but um, to, talk me through your career to where, to where you are now. Sure. So uh, after graduation, I, I took my first job as a, an SAP consultant. The reason I took it was was purely for the money uh, more than anything else. And, and I, I learned that mistake very, very quickly that that was a terrible way to make my decisions. Um, that I wasn't in the slightest bit motivated by uh my bank balance if if the the lifestyle wasn't going to match it and and specifically i mean my lifestyle in terms of being around my wife or you know girlfriend at the time and and sort of having free time and, and the ability to sort of choose what we wanted to do so i left sap consulting quite quickly and uh Despite that, you know, at the time I was still blogging about social media. You know, that was what I'd wrote my dissertation in. That was what I found quite interesting. So, so I, I figured a, a career in marketing would probably be the one for me. Although at the time I, I did genuinely just think it was social media. So um, that was quite like a, a nice awakening when I actually walked into my first my first role. Um, I, I walked into an in-house role in a, a conferencing company. I was quite lucky that. Uh, this this conference was called Business of Software, and um, they have literally some of the world's most amazing speakers uh, come along. So I, I worked for Boss for three years, but in that time, I was able to meet and learn from 
some of the world's best marketers, including like Seth Godin, Rand Fishkin, Damesh Shah, uh, DHH. You know, I, I remember once I sat around the table with all these people who sat there and I had no idea who they were. <laughs> you know, and I sort of think back to sort of twenty. I don't know, 23 year old Joe and sort of realized how privileged I was to be around that table. So, so that was cool. So I had that experience. I was, uh, then moved on into agency land where I worked for an agency called Genie Goals. Um, I was able to work with clients such as Calvin Klein, Carl Lagerfeld uh, during that time. Um, but the common thread throughout both of these roles was that I was the marketing manager and the solo marketing manager in these companies. Um, that meant that my opportunities for networking and learning from other marketers was quite limited unless I engaged with stuff like e-consultancy or some of the more traditional groups. But I never really felt like I fitted into them particularly. Um, you know, I'm far more comfortable in, in my shorts and flip-flops than I am a suit jacket and, and tie. Um, so I just decided to start a group in, in the image of what I hoped to have myself. You know, and, and really it was as simple as that. Uh, we were to value uh, inclusiveness. We were to value uh, each other as humans first rather than job titles. We were to just value learning, but in the purest sense. Um, we didn't want people walking in and, and having that experience where you walk into networking scenarios and you can see the dollar signs rolling in the eyes of the other people before they even had the opportunity to ask you your name. So, you know, it was really important to me that we brought people together as people, but also through the common thread of, of uh, being marketers and having an interest in marketing. Um, I've now had the, the privilege of working on the marketing meetup full time for the past year. Um, in this time, we've gone from, I think, 3000 marketers at the time to 15,000 from four locations to 14. Um, and of course, now coronavirus is sort of taken hold i think we'll speak about this a little bit more later on but um we've moved all our events online for the meantime as well as uh so instead of the, the 140 physical events that we did have planned for the year how long did it take you to scale the marketing meetup yeah the journey's been about four years long um so i think by the end of the first year we probably had the group in cambridge and that would have been it and there would have been about 500 people in there um, and then year on year on year, um, it's just grown and grown. The way that it's grown is that folks have generally approached me over the course of time. So um, as an example, Nicola and James, who both run local events in Bedford and, and Birmingham, respectively, both came up to me at the Cambridge event and said, I've traveled from Bedford or Birmingham to come to this event. So do you mind if I do it a little bit closer to my house? So it's been very organic but what's happened is that the group has been um so there's now 13 organizers in local in local areas um but that means that these folks are like super proactive because they wanted this community in their space but they also happen to have bought into the values as well so i'd actually say that our growth has been fairly slow and steady in four years to get 15,000 people, if you're a SaaS company, you'd probably be kicking yourself and asking yourself what you're doing wrong. But I think the benefit of what we've done is, you know, we've actually got a super engaged audience. Every week we send out our newsletter and it's like 40% plus open rate, you know, people are clicking through. And I think that's that alone as one metric sort of shows just like people have really engaged with it because we genuinely want to help them. And uh, we've taken the time not to scale and sort of use that 15,000 people 
number as like a, a, a badge of honor or whatever, but it's like 15,000 human beings that we really value are in this community and we're trying our best to look after them. Um, so fairly slow and steady, but very organic and, and, and in the best possible way, I think as well. I think a lot of companies can fall into the trap of it just being a number on a spreadsheet or a number on a dashboard of, of your customers and you just keep, keep on wanting to see that go up. But as you said there, that's 14,000 humans you've got. That's a community of people that, um, that are all, all, all looking to you for content and that sense of community. And the fact you're focused on that gives you a significant advantage over those that are just trying to watch the graph go up and to the right. But when I was looking into the marketing meetup for this podcast, as soon as I landed on your website, I love your first line. I, I don't know if it's your mission, but it, it's perfect. A positively lovely community for helping marketers get better at they do. Tell me more about where that comes from and why that's so important to you. <laughs> so uh, I guess there's a couple of things. The first thing, which is the shortest, is that it just annoys the shit out of me when, when you go on like an agency website and you're like, what do you do? what do you actually do? <laughs> and it like, it kills me. So like that, that statement was a very clear statement of this is what we are and this is what we do. So at the beginning of every event, we reinforce three values. Uh, those values are listening, saying hello and being positively lovely. They are in effect, the things that we hope encapsulate the spirit of the marketing meetup, listening over selling and actually asking questions rather than having to pretend to be the smartest person in the room. I fully embrace being the stupidest person in the room in many ways because that gives me the opportunity to learn. Saying hello is important because that's the hardest word in networking. Once you've said hello, then you're kind of forced into a conversation because you've already sort of engaged with someone. So um, by saying hello, we're looking to create that welcoming place. And then positively lovely, that's just about creating a real community spirit and about looking to help each other rather than sort of gain first and then give back afterwards we sort of flip that and sort of say look the more you give the more you receive and it's amazing how that actually happens in the real world so um when we come back to that statement of a positively lovely community what we're saying is that we're a bunch of people who give first but we've got a common thread a common interest which is marketing but we want to get better together and and that's as simple as it is you know it's it's just a whole bunch of really nice people looking to get better together and ultimately especially in the world we're living in today i think we're just looking to get by but if we can look to improve and progress even in our current place then uh, i think people generally feel quite happy i'd agree and i to your points on having a community um when i was listening to the humans come first podcast of richwood you were talking about corporate community. Um, what did you mean when you said corporate community and brands trying to make community for community's sake? Has it become a buzzword? And how do how can they make sure they're building community authentically? Mm -hmm. um, so I think it has become a buzzword. I think people have started to use community to describe, you know, just their customer base probably, which is a very sort of transactional relationship in most cases. Um, so I think the difference between a community in, in reality and a, a community which corporates use it is probably the ability to have 
cross communication between the individual members and sort of look they look to sort of help each other grow and get better than they would be by themselves um the example that rich gave in in the podcast that we did was that um both hubspot and drift have done a very good job of empowering their users to speak to each other um which means that it takes off some of the pressure off the drift and hubspot support teams as much as anything else but also you know that you feel part of something when you when you engage with either of those companies um so community for me on on a very sort of basic level is um you come together to give you come together to lift each other up not physically but like emotionally and, and 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 whatever it may be and you're stronger together than you would be otherwise i think the companies that are using the word community without facilitating those things are just using it in, in name only um and and hopefully that's where you know we kind of stand apart from from those corporate uses of the word what well, what about those companies that are, are using the word community and, and trying to build but are struggling to facilitate it but they actually really do want to have community what do they need mm-hmm. to do to make sure they are having that sense of community within their customers and and people interested in their brand i think the first thing is having a pure intention with it so maybe the benefit of the marketing meetups roots in that i've been wholly uninterested in commercializing it for you know the first three years was that we literally existed just to serve people you know and not just serve seems like the wrong word in a way but you know we look to help people that's all we were bothered about you know i don't think the misfortune is that inevitably what happens when people see a group of people engaging with their products is people inevitably want to commercialize it immediately. So my, my advice would be just to, just to chill out and sort of accept something for what it is and sort of a really nice thing where people can look after each other um, and, and not necessarily look to commercialize it in the first instance and, and just sort of build that real sort of core set of values that people live, breathe and, and adhere by. Um, but I think it just has to start ultimately with um, that spirit of, of looking to give back with a pure intention rather than looking to take. Because inevitably, if you want to tell other people to, to give to the community, then you have to be able to show that you're doing the same yourself because otherwise people are going to follow your example. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned HubSpot and Drift, two companies that I'm, I'm a big big fan of myself. Um, what, what have they done to help help build a community? So I think um, the example that Rich gave, so Rich is far more ingrained in, in both of these companies than, than I am. So one of the things that he spoke about was that HubSpot had done really well was uh, their inbound conference, which takes place every year in Boston. As a business exercise, I heard Brian... Uh, Halligan, their CEO, and I know one of your previous guests sort of say that they they have no idea of how they can actually prove whether it's a valuable exercise or not, but they do it anyway because they kind of know that it's going to create that community spirit and that buzz around the product and around the company. So even though they can't necessarily attribute success in terms of pure cold hard metrics, in 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 that kind of way they do it anyway because 
you know that sense of community is powerful for them so I, I think that's one example events you know both online and in person are, are really powerful because ultimately you're just trying to c- create connection between human beings you, you mentioned there the, the, the events that both hubspot and drift do that they're hard to measure the value of it but a lot of companies at the moment really struggle to try and prove the value of their marketing and are probably addicted to the metrics that you can get through social media and paid advertising on digital channels do you think companies are addicted to these metrics and how can we convince them to do the things that help build community it's a very easy conversation to have with a senior person in a company to say we've done this activity and we've seen this result as a direct result, you know, and you see that in, in examples of social advertising and uh, pay-per-click, you know, it's very, very easy to attribute, especially on most people will be on the last click model still, regardless of the advice given and then have that conversation with the boss, which says, look, we're doing a thing and it's being effective. That compels them to understand the value of marketing because they get a, a pound in and a pound out, you know, and they know exactly what they're getting. I think be able to explain things such as the life cycle, which I think isn't a perfect model by any means, but I think what it does is it frames the discussion in a way which says not all marketing activity is going to be acquisition based. There is going to be some activity which is going to be further higher up the funnel. And we need you to understand this. Uh, you know, and this is to your your CFO, this is to your MD. And I think is that right now, a lot of the conversations which I see is almost the, the enemy. It's like, oh, my boss is stopping me do this or, or the financial officer isn't going to approve my, my spend. That's, it's just not the way it has to be. It has to be a way where we, we have a discussion and, and sort of prove the value of marketing and also say these metrics further up the, the funnel, they're also relevant. I think what Rich does really well is that he speaks about uh, their 90-day sales cycle. And basically what he says is that he knows that from the day someone interacts with a bit of their content or, or, or part of their funnel, in 90 days, they're very, very likely to convert into being a customer. Now, what that does is it, it creates that sort of conversation with the MD, which is like, okay, we've been doing this activity and we expect to see it come true in 90 days time i think the benefit of that is that you're able to have a little bit of leeway to experiment and sort of try new things i think one of the the final things that people need to consider is is the example the example set by other people so if you don't have your own data what you can do is is use the example of other companies who have been successful using the same approach so as an example hubspot have started doing events they're massively successful. So what we can see from HubSpot's example is that their events have created this effect. So you need to be careful not to correlate too much, but you know, just, as, just to take it as a very crude example, then you can take that to your boss and say, look, there's been a proven another company who's done this activity. It's gone really well. Here is where they are. And that's the reason why I think that we should use this as a test. Ultimately, it just comes down to communication between a marketer and their boss to be able to say, look, I want to try it and I've got either the data or the evidence or the hypothesis that I'd just like to test. Do, do you have my backing? 
you know, and, and don't see those folks as the enemy, see them as people that, you know, you want to take on the journey, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic answer. You, you covered a lot of ground there. Let, let, let's move on to the period of change we're going through at the moment with with coronavirus. I was mentioning to you just before the call, um, the reason I wanted to chat with you is that I, I liked your perspective on this and I, I've recorded episodes of the podcast that I, I don't want to release at the moment because I don't think they're, they're context aware. And I think it is important to have the conversation about how brands can and should be dealing with the crisis. And that there's a lot of brands that might not be handling it too well with their customers, losing customers. And there are some brands that are doing it really, really well. How can brands be kind and helpful during, the, during this time? I called my agency um, empath marketing because an empath is someone that has the ability to truly feel the emotions of another person and be able to put yourself in, in their shoes to really understand them and, and, and uh, understand their problems. As marketers, we're, we're just doing the same, you know, a, a very crude high level definition of marketing is that it meets the needs of the customer. So, Right now, what we're seeing is that the needs of the customer have changed. They're no longer about uh, looking to smash their sales target or, you know, I don't know, impress the boss. They're thinking about survival. They're thinking about their family. They're thinking about the anxiety and uncertainty that is going on in the world right now. As marketers, we need to be able to understand that and be respectful and supportive to these individuals just to help them through this process which is going to take a little while you're not going to be wanting to convert people tomorrow into a you know selling them something that they don't need you know a, a top 10 spring summer looks uh email right now feels like really just meaningless you know who really cares nobody's going to see your clothes anyway so i think being kind and helpful right now it should be the easiest marketing task that we'll ever have to do in our lives because we're all feeling a little bit scared. We're all feeling a little bit anxious. We're all seeking those moments of positivity. So I think right now, without meaning to take the customer out of the equation too much, just look at yourself and say, would I want to be feeling that? Would I want to be receiving that message right now when I'm feeling like I am? You know, and if you can truly answer and say, no or the second level is is this helpful and if you can answer that question and say yes it's helpful and yes i'd like to receive it then you know i feel like it's okay but i think you know anybody that's just looking to increase their sales targets or or hit those those metrics right now they're really going to suffer so i think i speak both as a marketer but also as a business owner i'm completely readjusting how you know, we view this year, you know, it's not going to be based on revenue success and stuff like that. It's going to be based on survival and, and how we can mobilize the community to do good. I think, uh, I think most companies should hopefully be taking a similar perspective. You, you've had to, you've had to adapt the marketing meetup quite a lot because of the coronavirus. Um, what are some of the changes you've made to ensure the community stays strong um, and that you're, your um, produ producing content and what, what have you replaced your in-person events with, if anything? Yeah. 
we were planning to do 140 in-person events this year which would have been we just had our largest event ever in Cambridge there was like 150 people there was some crazy events were one of the first things to be hit in a sense because we all became very aware that coronavirus was going to become a thing but I think for a little while most companies were able to operate you know with it looming but but not quite there with events people didn't want to attend an event when they thought they were going to get sick afterwards you know so we had to cancel quite early I, I think that head start was actually quite useful in a sense I spent about three or four days uh, being an anxious wreck um, to be honest not doing an awful lot you know other than being worried and, and sort of just panicking but after I'd been through that three-day stage I, I kind of came out of it and I was like okay what am I going to do about it so we decided to take all our events online um, and, and we've done them in a couple of formats. So the first format that we've launched is uh, something called Conversation Club. And basically what in, in both of these formats, what we're trying to do is replace the in-person um, event, the, those moments of serendipity and create something that is similar in, in an online forum. So the first thing replaces the networking, which is Conversation Club. So twice a week, we gather at 8.30 and 12.30, a whole bunch of people come into the Zoom call, and then we send them out into breakout rooms. So that's uh, breakout rooms of four to five people. So rather than a 60-person chat, it's like four or five people. We send them out for 15 minutes, and then we bring them back, and then we send them out into another group of four or five. So but by the end, they've had a conversation with I don't know, eight, eight more marketers that they wouldn't have done otherwise. That replaces the networking. And i got to say, I was dubious about online networking and events beforehand, but I've been really, really impressed. Uh, the second thing we did was that weekend, after being scared, I literally just thought, fuck it, <laughs> you know? And uh, I just decided to email every most famous marketing person that I possibly could think of and say, look, we're going to have to cancel all our events. Um, but it's not about me or anything about that, but there's going to be a whole bunch of really scared people out there right now. And what I'd love to do is provide a, a semblance of normality for them, give them something to look forward to in a period where we're all just going to be a little bit anxious, a little bit scared. And amazingly, a few of them said yes. So we've managed to, um, you know, on, on Tuesday, we had a just an incredible chat with uh, Margaret Malloy, who's the global CMO of Siegel and Gale. Uh, you know, it's just huge. They were the folks that created the NBA, NBA logo. Um, we had Rand Fishkin a couple of weeks ago. We've got Rory Sutherland next week, Mark Ritson. Uh, Russell Parsons, who's the editor of Marketing Week. Um, all these just like, incredible incredible people have said yes to spending some time with us um in terms of like attributing any of of that to any kind of process or anything like that i think in this particular scenario we were forced to disrupt our business um, and i hate the disrupt word but in this case it's it's uh, it's relevant um and I combined that with a healthy sense of ignorance and fuck itness and uh, just decided to, you know, ask the people who I never thought would say yes.
and a few of them did. So um, I think there's a lot to be said for um, being sensible and stuff like that. But when your back's against the wall, sometimes you just got to uh, just got to do what you got to do. And unfortunately, these folks said yes. So, so that was unreal. So I think that kind of just uh, going out and, and asking the people that you really want beyond any other. That's a really good idea. Um, after really the seeing some success with the master meetup, you set up your own agency. Um, when did you know it was the right time to set that up? And what, what do you offer that's different? <laughs> so at the moment, Empath is um, in its, its beginning stages, really. It's been established for a little while, but um, I haven't done an awful lot with it. So to answer your question, honestly, uh, it was just something that I felt like I needed to do, um, but I haven't pushed an awful lot since. So potentially the answer is that really, maybe it wasn't the best time to launch the agency. Maybe I should have waited. But in any case, it was an idea that I had and I knew that it was something that I wanted to to do at some point. And sometimes there just isn't a good time to launch something. So you kind of have to throw yourself at it a little bit and, and see if it sticks. In this particular case, the main output is that I've been able to operate as a more or less as a freelancer more than any other thing in, in certain circumstances. But the general theory is that we'll be able to benefit from the whole marketing meetup community. If there's now 15,000 folks in that group, that means that there's 15,000 folks more or less that we can turn to and sort of say, if a client comes to us and says, look, we want X, Y, Z done, then we can turn to the community and say, hey, look, we've got this brief. Is anyone interested in working on it? I feel like that, that network of 15,000 folks, that's something that's really powerful, but that's also something that um, is a healthy competitive advantage. Um, it's not looking to sort of commercialize the community. It's just looking to provide opportunities for them to work on opportunities as, as, and, as and when they come up. Yeah, that sounds really good. Joe, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for being so kind to spend your time time with me. Is, it, is there any last things you want to say, people, for a bit of positive positivity during, during this strange time? Thank you very much, mate. It's been great to chat. And, and you know, I think it is just so important that we just look to look after each other just a little bit more in these times. Uh, be kind, be thankful, and um, let's look after each other. Amazing. Joe, thank you so much. Have a lovely day. I'll, I'll make sure that um, I leave all the notes and links to you in the show notes um, to, to the podcast and Empath and also the Market Meetup. Well, good man you are. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. thank you so much for listening to this episode of the marketing mashup thank you joe so much for coming on really really loved your approach to marketing and building communities and how you've adapted your company in this crisis if you do want to support the podcast there is a link to buy me a coffee in the show notes everything discussed in this episode will also be in the show notes too If you liked it, please do leave a review on iTunes and I'll see you in the next one.